Okay, we've been studying what we consider to be an extraordinarily meaningful Pasuk, chapter 1 of Book of Bereshit, <coughs> excuse me, Pasuk 25-26, page 34, up to. This Pasuk, which shows the Salem Elohim, divine image, we've been analyzing through the eyes of, we said Rabbi Greenberg, and then through the eyes of Rabbi Salavechik, who essentially creates an entire book around this particular Pasuk. We had seen Rabbi Salavechik sees a fourfold distinction between chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the book of Bereshit. Of course, the Bible scholars and critics have always pointed that, that fact out, and that meant there were two authors. Rabbi Salavechik says, no, it's not two authors, it's two different aspects of the human being. There's what he calls Adam 1 and Adam 2, which of course, <coughs> excuse me, which of course is what we're all about. We're all driven by Adam 1 needs as well as by Adam 2 needs. Torah creates, what's, page 34. Torah creates typological models in order to clarify. If you want to analyze the personality, it's much easier to see the person first as rather than a complex interwoven ball of yarn with many different colors, look at one color first, analyze that one color, and then you're able to put it back, once analyzed, into the overall structure. So Adam 1 is one kind of personality. And we see that motivates him is this issue of dignity, this issue to conquer, to create, to imitate his creator. It's very positive and wonderful for one to be an Adam 1 personality. But it's only a surface existence. You're concerned about what the people say about you. You want what we call dignity. Point number one. Knowledge. knowledge is part of it. Knowledge is part of, of mastering the world. The keep shuha. Yeah. Knowing it is to master it. In how do we know how to As a creator. God created. Oh, God created. We imitate that aspect of it. Exactly. Right. Imitate God. No, no, just that aspect of it. Correct. Correct. Good. Now, also, we have Adam 2. Adam 2 walks through life. And as rich and powerful as Adam one may be, there's something gnawing at the inside saying, what's the meaning of all this? What's the purpose of all this? There's something that I'm missing over here. And Adam too raises questions and he finds out that he's lonely. Lonely, not that he's alone, he's with other people. He's not alone, but he is lonely. He needs something more meaningful, something to fill his emotional, psychological and spiritual needs. And that, of course, he's in search of what we're going to call redemption. We'll see. Now, Adam 1 creates relationships, but they're really pragmatic. One hand washes the other with other person. Society. With society, correct. Good. It forms a natural community. I will help you, you'll help me. But you don't really solve my problem of loneliness. I'm no longer alone, because I work with people, I talk with people, but I'm still having this inner psychological need for companionship, a depth relationship. Adam 1 associates his feelings of... Um, of Adam oneness, we'll call it, with Eve, and she becomes a pragmatic partner for him. So on page 33, we had seen that they add, act and work together, pursue common, objectives, pursue common objectives together, yet they do not exist together. Admittedly, those of us here are going to have a hard time trying to really understand this because most of us don't feel that existential loneliness he's trying to describe. He obviously does. He says, I am a lonely person. And of course, if you go throughout history of th- thought, thinking in general, you're going to find a Kierkegaard and other thinkers who felt that loneliness in this vast universe, and what am I? He could point to Tehillim, which is a theme throughout Tehillim, where a person looks at himself in the overall picture of things as, what really am I? I- am I alone here? So it's, it's a very profound 
emotional, slightly depressing kind of a feeling. How significant am I? Yeah, significance. And if I don't have anybody to help me through that maze of significant, meaningless life, then what do I do? So you turn to Eve. He turns to your wife. And you hope that they're going to create a depth relationship, but they don't. Adam 1 is not concerned. Adam 1 is concerned with success and fame. So he creates a relationship with Eve. They help each other. She bakes the bread and he makes the bread. She cooks for him and he, bring, and he brings home the bread. That's fine. But they do not really know each other. Now again, you and I could point to numerous married couples who don't really know each other. Ontologically, they do not belong to each other. Each is provided with an I awareness and there's nothing of a we awareness. Each one goes their separate ways. They prefer spending time with the, let's say, with others rather than with each other. They go out with four or five couples. The men stay here, the women stay there. Why? Well, the men will say, well, because we have common interests. Or, or with themselves. So, yeah. So, the you said they spend time with others rather than each other. I, I thought you were going to... Actually, I thought the way the sense was going to go is they prefer to spend time with themselves rather, rather than, than with each other. Right. Okay. That's good. It's a, it's a kind of an awareness, an eye awareness that I want to pursue. There's not a need for the other. Again, I'll relate how a person grows and matures that at a certain point in time there's a need to get married, a need to be with other, a need to share. Uh, uh, interesting, when you love someone, whatever they're about, you're concerned with, you care about. How's your day, honey? is not a random question. It's, I want to share with you your day. I want to be part of your emotional life. That's a depth relationship. A friend of mine's daughter got married. I think I mentioned this to you two weeks ago. And um, they went through a whole engagement period. They're very nice. They're happily married. Everything's great. Now they're going two weeks later onto their honeymoon. And she says to her father, Dad, what do I, what do, I do with him for two, three weeks? What am I going to talk to him about? She was young. She was 18, 17, 18 years old. She didn't get it. She just, I'm going to be with him, you know, 24-7. He's not going to work, which is the last two weeks. I don't have to out, uh, outfit the house. You know, and we'll cook and clean all that stuff. He's like, we're going to be together for 24-7. What am I going to do with him? It's a very funny question. And what she didn't realize at that point, and what she did grow to realize, is that when you're with someone that you love and care about for 24-7, everything becomes an issue. It's sort of like, if you had to take a six-hour drive with your wife, how many tapes are you going to bring? How much radio are you going to listen to? As opposed to sharing feelings, thoughts, goals, dreams, where we've come, where we want to go, children, things that you really care about. So now, one can do either one of those two. One can obviously play your tapes. One can obviously hear a shi'ur. One can obviously uh, listen to music or talk radio shows. Or you could just not turn on the radio or just engage in a conversation with that person. Welcome. You can get the tape. Because you're minutes late. You can engage and you really try to figure out, ask your kids ask your wife questions of great significance, of great meaning that you're both concerned about. That's when you attempt, which takes energy, which takes feeling, that's an attempt, I don't want to take it. No, I don't drink that stuff. Drink another stuff. That's when, when you're trying to solicit reactions, when you're trying to engage in a depth response. Now, if the person says, you know, how was your day? Okay. Well, what did what, what, you think about today? Nothing. This is what teenagers tell you. They're the self-contained eye awarenesses. 
you don't know. You don't know yet. Think that much. Anything that much. You don't know yet. You can't say. You can't smile. You don't know that. I can't. She does. She does already. I don't want to tell you. And she's seven. What's she six? Six. Not even. Not even six. Okay. It's an astounding phenomenon, but it's to be understood. Interestingly, that the eye awareness at that point in time is I don't want to share with you. I don't need to share with you. But that eye awareness, which is really self-contained, revolving only around that oneself will hopefully, in a healthy individual, mature into a need to share, a need to be. She want to be with the other person. She want to share with the other person. And it could be anything. What do you think about? And just fill it in. So again, we all know people that have the tapes and have the CDs and have all that, and they spend their time watching television, listening to radio, and, all that, and they don't engage in a, in a we existence. We ontological. Ontology is a science of being. They don't, they don't necessarily care if they be with that person or not be with that person. On the other hand, that's all Adam one. <coughs> that's all Adam one. They engage in a pragmatic union of you do for me and I do for you. You do the dishes and I wash the floor. I'll make money and you spend the money. Uh, Did I say that just now? Didn't I didn't say that just now. Oh. Get rid of that line. And then she'll make money and he'll spend money. That's what happens, of course. And Robert Soloveitchik over here says that they communicate with each other. But the communication lines are open between two surface personalities engaged in work, dedicated to success, and speaking in cliches and stereotypes, not between two souls bound together in an indissolvable relation, each speaking a unique logi. The in-depth personalities do not communicate alone, they commune with each other. So here he's talking about a completely different kind of element in the you personality. Adam 2 is very much part of the Adam personality. But it's Adam 1, and we could all live a surface Adam 1 life, achieve success and fame, and we all know people like this, but they don't really have truly good friendships, love relationships. One of the beauties of Torah is the Pasuk, when David is pleading for the redemption of Benjamin to bring him back to his father. How does he describe their relationship? Benafshor Keshura Benafshor an extraordinary phrase his soul is bound up with his soul it's an in-depth relationship now of course whether that's the case or not we don't know but Yoda was trying to show that one soul the soul bound up cannot live without the other you must return Benjamin otherwise obviously that one soul will die cannot live without the other and it's interesting that often is the case between two people where a spouse lives together 50 years together and then one passes away and shortly after the other one passes away also. Why? Because their whole life was bound up with the other. It's not an uncommon phenomenon. And you try to engage them and try to take them out of the depression. Then they see no reason for life. You know, if I get up in the morning I don't see this person I had with 50 years, 50 times 365 days and you were so involved and so sharing and if you went through hard times and you built and you grew together and you had your children together and you went through difficult times, whatever it may be, at the end, that person's just gone. It's one of the cruelest aspects of life, is death. Especially a situation where the person lived a long life together. Somebody's 87, 88, they passed away, we said, say, okay, good, then long life, no illness, fine. But the spouse feels it. Could you always expect that person to be there for you? All of a sudden, you're coming home to a, lo- to a ho- home alone. And now you're really lonely. Not only is it be made up with your children or grandchildren or your friends, you're just feeling part of you died with that other person. It's a feeling that people have often expressed to me. And that's when you have in-depth personalities or personalities that commune with each other. 
That is Adam too. In the Prashadis, communicating, communing with each other. The male people were summoned by their creator to act in unison in order to act successfully. That's Adam 1. If they were not charged with the task of existing in unison, or to cleanse the demon hell of their existence, they weren't told to do that. That's all Adam 1. Now we go back to, to Adam 2. This was on page 34. Having described Adam, majestic Adam 1, as an individual member of a work community, I was going to Adam 2 in his doodle as lonely individual and one commit to a peculiar community idea, which he didn't describe yet. There are two basic distinctions between dignity and cathartic redemptiveness. Dignity was what Adam 1's all about. Adam 2 needs cathartic redemptiveness. He needs somebody to share his loneliness with. He tells us, being redeemed is unlike being dignified. An ontological awareness. All this you wake up one day, it's sort of like when you overcome that adolescent feeling of meanness. Me. It's all about me. And all of a sudden what happens, you say, I need someone else. I now want interdependence. And you fall in love. You could be 18, you could be 22, you could be 26, you could be 30, you could be 35. All of a sudden you find that right person and it's magic. It's really magical. That person that you could share with. And all of a sudden, where have you been for my whole entire life? You know, let's say it happens when you're 26 or 28 or 30 or 32. And it happens to people like this. The magic is, it's wonderful to watch. And I've seen this. I've seen the young couples when they're 18 and having magic. And I've seen them when they're 35 and having magic. And it's extraordinary. It just, they're just floating on cloud nine. And they say, I'm in love with this person. It's just magic because you found the person. And again, you can read the phone book together and it's fine. Just read the phone book and it's fine. It's just wonderful. Being together is what it's all about. It is rooted in that ontological feeling of being lonely. And this other person now comes along and sharing time together, doing nothing other than being together. Just be alone. You don't have to go out to enjoy each other. You stay in to enjoy each other. Just being with that other person with all, that's, all that you want. It's not extraneous acts of attribute, attribute as others, of being, but a mode of being itself. A redeemed existence is intrinsically different from an unredeemed one. Redemptiveness does not have to be acted out vis-à-vis the outside world. Look at the footnote. Halakhic requirement of dignified behavior applies in some cases to public actions. It's all a surface issue. Public in which Talmud, Berchot 19b, this is related to public offensive actions, such as disrobing. You can't because you have a certain interest of dignity. It's a public issue. Certain access to disrobing is unworthy only if exposed to public view. Such as lack of bodily hygiene is also disgraceful. But, so he's discussing with dignity versus this other quality or attribute of feeling wellness. Even a hermit, while not having the opportunity to manifest dignity, can live a redeemed life. Why does he not have an opportunity to manifest dignity? He's a hermit. Because what's dignity? We said above, it's defined in terms of others. It's just, I want to feel dignified. Not vis-a-vis me. Why does a person who lives alone, how would use? Not change his clothes, not take showers, because those were surface... Those but uh, this is good example, but the people who live alone, that they feel like they're, they're, they're always part of the Creator. Oh, yeah, I'm talking about how it used them. I'm not of the house. And the other people, Of course, no, absolutely. No, once you realize you're for your Creator, then that's a sense of kavod you won't have for yourself and vis-a-vis your Creator. Yeah. Absolutely correct. But you still might be a hermit. Correct, yeah. uh, correct, right. But, but you're not alone. In that case, you're not alone. Right, yeah. Ultimately, what you want to... Yeah. Div- but, uh, but you'll see... Way, you have company. That's right. That's right. But in terms of the way he's using the word, which is restrictive in your behavior. No, restrictive behavior because 
you're, you're impressing somebody or something. If you're in a which context? Uh, one that has God in front of you. Absolutely. You'll see ultimately the Redeemer... You still have dignity. You could. You could. But his point over here is that if you're living a godless hermetic existence, <laughs> in that case, you're not going to have that sense because you don't care. How would you then care about anybody or anything? Mm-hmm. So he lived. Why should I change my clothes? Why should I take a shower? Why, what should I smell? It's not affecting anybody. It doesn't affect anybody. I'm alone. Yes. Yes. That was something else. But that was him also. At the end, this multi-millionaire or billionaire person at the end lived a very undignified life. Unshaven. Didn't make a difference to him. He just didn't care. Just, he just, you know, whatever dynamics there. I mean, he had an interesting situation where he achieved Adam one power and fame and everything that one could. But at the end, he raised that question: What's the point of all this? Where did it lead me? Maybe the ultimate Adam too. Correct. But he didn't have. He didn't find that redemption. He didn't he find that the stir that mixed his drink. Okay. I mean, what were just the popular reports of the news media? Yeah, no, I don't mean that. I meant that maybe that to him was his redemption. That he didn't care about anything. He was free. He was unshackled. Yeah. And his search for whatever. Me- yeah, it's, we didn't speak to him. I don't know. Yeah. What was his meaning, though? I mean, wasn't giving to others. You know, what does Bill Gates think about life? You know, and you know, he's reached the pinnacle of success and fame worldwide and all that. So does he ask himself, where do I go from here? Or is he so driven by an Adam One personality that I need more? I only have the GNP of some a few small countries. I won't have the GNP of the United States. Each getting a billion dollars, yeah. Nice guy. Well, by the way, that's probably the closest thing that we understand is to use your wealth and knowledge and everything to help others. So okay, good. The most universal. Now, is that is that part of Adam One or Adam Two? I think Adam two, but that, that I think Adam one. Society. But again, the your goodness that you're feeling is a manifestation of what Adam one needs to feel good about himself, dignified, public acclaim. I think as opposed to he, Well, let's see. Adam two needs something much more than that. It's easy to give away money. What is Adam two really looking for? What? Why am I here? Right. Why, the the, the, the more here? profound questions. And feeling lonely. No, but they are. No. You can't answer the questions correct intellectually, but emotionally you can feel satisfied with not knowing. When you have a religious connection to God, when you have a relationship to God. A different issue. That's not what we're talking about right now. We're not worrying about that. What you want to feel is comfort from your loneliness. It's almost along the lines of one of the uh, thinkers of the Holocaust that said, God, don't explain to me why the Holocaust is happening. Just let me know that I'm dying for your name. That gives meaning to what you're dying for. I'm not going to say it. Tell me. I'm comfortable with that. Just let me know that I'm doing it for a purpose. That there's meaning in my death. There's meaning in that I'm getting that my people are being killed. Right. That's meaning. Okay, so that's what Adam two wants. Let's look further. Or the best example of that was if you ever saw the play Waiting for Godot. Sorry? Square. The hardest. Right. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Not hard work. No, it's when there's meaninglessness. Well, that well, that the same sentence. Correct. That was Nazi labor. Just break stones. Pick them up. Put them over here. Put them over there. 
astounding how that could destroy a human being because it is such meaningless work. Waiting for Godot was exactly that. If you ever seen the play by Beckett, you see it's so powerful of a meaningless life. They're just waiting for Godot. Redemption. Godot was God. They're waiting. It was written post-World War II. Waiting and waiting. If he comes, we have to be here. What if it doesn't come? We'll just wait some more. And it goes, the repetition of it, which a, my kids did a play in 10th or 11th grade, I made them do it. They had to choose a play to do it. They didn't get it. They didn't see it. What is this about? It's a stupid book. It makes no sense to it. So I went literally line by line by line with two of the kids and, said, and explained to them how the, repetition, the repeti- repetitiveness of it is what made it into such a brilliant play because it shows you, communicates to you what meaningless life is really all about. And in that you have a slave, you have a personality. When I'd seen that on the stage, it was just overwhelmingly depressing. It was, I mean, you walked out saying, what is this all about? He captured that meaninglessness of life. Back to this. So here he's telling us so the cathartic redemption is what we want. is explicit in the privacy of one's in-depth personality. You want redemption. Because below the relationship between the I and the thou, to use the term. I and thou is, of course, the famous term made known by Martin Buber, who says that we all live I with I-it relationships. And I-it relationship is the characteristic of you do for me and I do for you. I, you, you provide me with milk because you're my milkman. Groceries because you're my fruit man. That's fine. It's an I relationship. And one needs to have those relationships. But what's an I that relationship? When you're in, it could be love, it could be male, it could be female, it's when time passes and you're not aware of the time. You go out on a date with the person that you're going to marry and all of a sudden it's 3 o'clock in the morning. You're always spending time talking and you didn't, no need to look at your watch. You start at 9, now it's 3. Oh my God, it's 3. Wake up little Susie. You know, you remember that? Yeah. All of a sudden it's, it's what are we going to tell anybody? Three, six hours later, you didn't even realize the time passed because you were involved in a discussion, in being, and in love. So I thou is that fulfilling relationship which provides meaning for life. Well, Buddha talks about I relationship with an eternal thou, with God, which could happen at only one point in time, and having relationships with I eternal thou. He's going beyond that and saying, because below the relationship between I and thou, it reaches the very depth of the hidden strata of the isolated I who knows himself as a singular being. Again, raise the question, how many of us know ourselves as a singular being? It really takes introspection to see myself as different. Think about it. Who am I really? What are my values? What are my ideas? What are my thoughts? But go below and beyond all that. Values, thoughts, and emotions I could pinpoint very easily. We all could explain that to ourselves. Who are we? But what happens when you go deeper than that? We know that you were born in this particular time period, in this century, in this decade, and we know that you went to Yeshiva Flappish, and you know that you graduated into this, and this, and all this. Is that who you are? Is anything more? So, if you were to be interviewed to find out who you really are, and the person had all these questions, you would probably feel there's something more than you've captured. There's something more. I was a basketball player. Okay, now we put that over. Basketball player and tennis player and this and that. You did all this stuff. You're really good. Okay, good. Is there more to you than being a basketball player and a tennis player and a, and a softball player? Yeah. I started to write. Is there more to that? Or does that define your core of your existence? How do you get to the core of your existence? That's the fundamental bottom line isolated I who knows himself as a singular being. What I, makes you special? Not a recommended exercise, by the way. Correct. That's very fearful. You may, you may not be able to handle it. I agree. Because you may not... What are you going to find there? You may find that you're only a basketball player and, and you might study Torah also. But you're studying Torah not because it's an in-depth experience of learning and feeling Shekhinah Shuriah Benihim but rather because you raised study Torah. You grew up in Borough Park or in Mansi, or in Bnei Barak, and that's what you did. The same way you go to work, he says Torah. 
it, it's many personalities that I know are that way. It's a rote exercise. This is my job in life, say Torah. Does not become and an you intimate. And your in I'm sorry. Any, you and your children continue on that path without any sort of vision. Right. There's no vision. No, no, nothing changes. It's purposeless. So studying Torah could also be purposeless, unless it really brings you to that level beyond that, where it confronts you with your source. The ultimate source of you may be God. That's Sefer Malachim, perhaps. That thin line when you end up. This is a mystic vision. Uh, correct. With Adam one, you can't live. You need Adam one to live, but you also want to have that ontological sense of who am I beyond the basketball, beyond the earner of money, beyond the babysitter, beyond this, this to that person. Correct. That's correct. I don't know if you're mystical because you're more mystical, but that's the more in-depth relationship with God. Elohim, I relate to God. Most of us relate to God as a power. Yeah. As the power, that's as Elohim. Adam 2, as you'll see in this chapter, relates to God as Yud Ke Vav Ke. The ultimate, the height. That's the one that's hard to comprehend. Of course. Yeah, but it's not only intellectual, it's emotional. It's achieving an in-depth relationship with God. Where you end up, you end up saying, I feel comfortable with who I am. So I've reached Ezra HaMakidah Mekomo O Mekoro. I... The wise person knows his source. The source is ultimately God. Rather than seeing God as outward being, yeah, see God as inward, an in-depth core of you. Your inner core, similar of you, may be God inward rather than outward. So I was saying, it's easier to keep four with Adam one than Adam two. That's true. You count your money or you count your possessions. But Adam two, maybe good point, the score yeah. is the inner peace, the shalom. That you have. Right. If you achieve that, that might be the way to keep four. Absolutely. And again, who has struggled with these scary questions? You look at some of the questions. Like the guy walking around with a big smile on his face. <laughs> <laughs> you know, why is the world created? Some of these questions are like. Uh, well, I don't think you have to go that far. But that, that's, that's We're talking it, about yeah. what your relationship is to the creation. No, yeah, but that's all these laws. And how do you fit in? Why, why, why was the world created? Well, how do you fit into this world? What do you know? World's intellectual. We want to get to that question beyond that question. Those I you deal with, not deal with. Why? Why are you here? If I'm peaceful with myself, then it all works out. Feel comfortable with yourself, though not knowing why it was all done. Almost like Eyob. Eyob knows nothing more at the end of the book than he knows at the beginning of the book, correct? The inner piece that he says is if you say, you know, put your hand in trust in God. Okay. But it's relationship. At the end, Eov says, when Hashem says, where were you when I created the world? And what do you know? What do you, what do you, what do you know? And he smashes Eov from one end to the other. At the end, what makes Eov feel comfortable? I don't have to any more questions. I'm fine. I'm happy. He went back to Adam 1, by the way. Who? Eov. I love your back. That's how, that's how he, by the way, he... After, because you need... No, he called. No, he went back to Adam 1. No, I would say that the relationship to God, when God relates to him, is no, Adam 2. He was smashed. He was comfortable with Adam 1. He got back all his possessions and his family and that's it. At the end of the book, yeah, but prior to that stage, I'm in Adam 2. When God Adam relates to him. He was searching for an Adam 2. He was here, okay, he was in Adam 2. For the part of the book. And at the end, at the end maybe he's both. In other words, Adam 1 always, you don't li- never leave Adam 1, it's one person. Yeah. You need Adam 1. And Adam 2 no, just... Except the way he's going with it, you read a little further. The aesthetic type of life brings you to the inner control of yourself 
which makes you almost depriving yourself. Or, I mean, maybe I'm reading. Let me just let me just go further. Let me just okay. I'm not sure where, where you went. Good. When objectified, when objectified in personal emotional categories, cathartic redemptiveness, redemption, it shows them the feeling of axiological security. Axiological okay. having to do with values. You feel comfortable. You're secure. You're certain. You know who you are, what you stand for. You feel comfortable at your core. That's axiological security. It, just, it flows with the confidence from within. I'm comfortable with who I am. The insecure person is not comfortable. He doesn't have a sense of who he is and what he stands for. The individual intuits existence as worthwhile. Even though there's no the ultimate question. But I feel good about my existence. Legitimate and adequate, anchored in something stable and unchangeable, namely God. Stable and unchangeable. That's God. So you've gone all the way to the in-depth feeling of inner security, knowing who you are axiologically, valuely, morally. You feel confident in what and who you are. You've created a connection to who you really are. And you feel secure. The word stable and unchangeable bothered me because Hashem obviously doesn't show himself in a very stable or unchangeable person. You could have a Holocaust one day and you could have a seven good years, seven bad years, things like that. I don't know in what well, context he's saying those words. Because I think that's only God as manifest. Oh, of course, that's what we know. Right, that's but there's, we know there's a God beyond the God. Okay, but that's all we know. Unless we, this guy, this fellow reached the point or this ideal person that he went beyond that, that we... I would say go beyond that. I agree. I, I think that's exactly right. It goes back to I was saying Allah built that. In other words, trust in God and God provides. It's not only trust. It's not. It's not only trust. It's achieving. You know what it's like. It's sort of like. Um, if you say man created God, that, that's the reason why he created God. No. No. What it comes down to. What I'm hearing on you is, I can't figure out if I'm throwing my hands up. Right, that's uh, not what we're talking about now. No, it's not what we're saying right now at all. What it might be like is sort of when you've achieved, let's say you work at a job. We all work at jobs. I work at a job now for 20 years. Do you think I have the security to know that I won't be fired tomorrow? Sure, but you don't. You don't. You have a bad speech, a couple of bad relationships, <laughs> you don't go to Charlie's Brisk. Bad decision or two. That's the way life is. Trent Lott. That's the way life is. With the wrong message, the wrong thing. I should be a little more compassionate. But you have two bad speeches in a row. Because you have 20 so you get to give it two bad speeches to make. And you have two bad speeches. And you really just alienate. A new board comes in. You do everything you did for the last 20 years. A new board comes in. They don't like it. They want a more fundamental uh, approach. They want a more right-wing approach. They want a more left approach. You feel insecure. So, in my job. Now, I don't know how long you're working at your job. And even if, you, even if you're, let's say, the boss of the company, you know what's going to bring tomorrow. You could be head of a million-dollar company that's going to... Five things happen wrong. Look at those high-tech stocks. You went from worth $100 million to $2 million to nothing overnight. So wait, wait. So therefore, look at marriage now. Let's say you're married for now 15 or 20 or 25 or 30 years. At a certain point in that 30-year period, now maybe it happens earlier to some people, maybe it happens later to some people, when do you achieve that feeling that no matter what happens in life, we're never going to split? Now, like a job. I'm married, I've married to my job for 20 years. I don't feel that secure. When do you achieve that feeling when you know no matter what happens, whatever you say, complete and total trust in the, in the other person that you really feel you're there. It's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. You know in your gut of guts, you intuit this relationship is a we relationship and this, you're not leaving because you don't want to leave. But that's easy because they, they want you to want to leave. But how do you ever know that she doesn't want to leave? That somebody's not going to come along who's better looking than you, who has more money than you, or has a better jump shot than you, whatever the case may be. And at the end of the day, you lose her. 
when do you feel that way? When you're married five years? Now, it might be the case that when you're married for five years, you feel that way. For ten years, it's great. Then you may feel that way when you're married for thirty years. But in between, you never really know. Because you age, or she ages, or because you're ten, twelve years older than she is. And I can give you tens of examples where women left their husbands, or husbands left their women. Why? Because he was, he's at 50 and she's now 35 or 36 and she wants to go out dancing. He wants to uh, sit back and watch the football game. And she says, no, no, that's not me. And he says, you're not me. She says, she says you're not, I'm not doing this. And she says, damn, but you're not me either. This is not us. So at the end, she finds an affair, she has an affair. And I can give you examples of that. Why did that happen? That makes me a better question. <laughs> I don't want to hear about that. You want to hear better? <laughs> That's on Thursday night class. You want to come to Thursday night class? So, in that situation, so why does that happen? When do you feel that, you know, that, feel, that, that period? I would suggest to you that the love of the first five, eight years of marriage makes you feel, you might, fools feel secure. Never will split up. It's the, the, the passion, the emotion is so tight, you're there. But then after seven or eight or ten years of marriage, that same emotion and passion, maybe seven years or five years or whatever is, is not there. And now you're establishing kind of like a pragmatic union and we grow together, we love together. It's very nice, it's good, it's fine, smooth sailing. But you then sometimes wonder, now that I'm, let's say, 40 years old and she's 32 or 33, 40, 34, and I'm kind of entering into my middle years and settling down with who, with who I am, but she's still now exploring and going out and doing and Obviously, the question could be, would you trust your 30-year-old wife or 30-year-old, you know, to go out? She wants to meet with, uh, with her boss for lunch. Okay, no problem. And then it's another lunch. Another lunch. And that's a dinner. That's a lunch. At what point do you draw the line? Physical trainer. <laughs> that's how you draw the line. Someone actually offered me that last two, yesterday, two days ago. I'll come and train you. I want you to be in good shape. He says, I don't think you want to do that. To me. I said, okay, I don't want to do that. I hear it. I'll jog my own treadmill, my own half a day. That's fine. So, that's the question. When are you that secure when you know that no matter what, not for moral reasons, because morally we'll trust all our wives all the time. That's, that's not moral reason. But for emotional trust reasons, that you know no matter what, this is not going to ever dissolve. So again, when you're married 40 years, you're sure. You're just together that long, it just becomes attached to each other. And when you're married the first 10 years, are there. But between the ages of, let's say, married of 10 years and, and 30 years, or 50 or 25 years, you're not that sure. You're not sure if you're going to have a fight or an argument or you're not going to make enough money or she's not going to have any more kids, whatever it may be. When do you achieve that security of feeling that we're in this together no matter what? Never going to be a divorce. Now, you're not that naive as you are when you first in these marriage, which is that cloud nine type of a thing where it's always going to work out. Now you know there are hard knocks. Now you know there are bumps in the road. Now you know that there might be illness in the road. And you never really know what's going to happen in those things. But at a certain point in time, you feel secure with who you are, with who she is, you're in this together. We know each other now. First thing you is that you don't know each other. You're just on that cloud line of love and it's great and fine. But after that point, and you begin to know each other, and you wonder, well, is this always going to work out? Is there going to be any questions that we're going to have? It's an interesting issue. So what I'm saying over here is that at a certain point in time, you feel complete trust and security in the relationship, and then you feel also as an Adam two personality, you feel comfortable and stable and secure with who you are. That's when you have a relationship with God. Because that is conscious of the cannot be contained through a man's acquisition and control of the environment at Adam one. Through man's excess control over himself. 
Ludim life is ipso facto a disciplined life. It's an interesting issue. Of course, this could lead us into mikveh issues. It could lead us into kashrut issues, which we're not going to go. But it's what he's really saying over here, that right because that, cause then then you know who you are, and then you know what your values are. I'm not going to eat the non-kosher pizza because I have control over myself. But to take that to the ultimate was what I'm saying, an aesthetic existence, denying yourself almost of all pleasure. We're not denying pleasure here. Yeah, you are, because you're living a very disciplined life. You can't have the pepperoni pizza? No, yeah, right, exactly. But I can't have kosher pizza. No, no, but listen to me. If you took it, if that's the ideal, why don't we take it to the ultimate to say, deny myself of everything and let myself be just a man that has no desires and no pleasures and all things like that. That's how you would take that ultimately. If you would take it to the, the extreme. That sounds like the Wait. Well, what are the disciplines? Yeah, well, no. There are religions that... that, that yeah, the, the Greek way of life... No, it was the opposite. It was the, the Greek way of life of Epictetus. Oh, Epictetus. Epictetus. Well, Epictetus originally was a life of apathia, which means apathy, which means I'm not affected by anything. I'm self-contained. So one stream in the Greek way of life was to achieve that level of not desiring or needing anything. So that, that's not what he's saying over here. I tell you, okay. No, no, let's see this in a second. Oh, oh, Dean Life... Just, I think last week you brought about Rachman, about how he trusted in God and how he lost all his money. How Who? Reichman. That was one of my speeches, yes. He lost his money and then he realized to lose the money was good. I brought up that story. Losing money was good. Losing money was good because it it, it uh, brought his children together. Right. Yeah. Because okay. they had too much money, and then they had, they were. Okay. Right. And, and there was good. But that's what we're talking about now at all. But, but, but finding good and all that God does. It, in other words, he's satisfied with himself. He has okay. Yeah. Himself and God. What, what that's fine. God that's a little different than what we're talking about over here now. Perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps. Here we're talking about redemptiveness. When you feel redemption, you feel secure, comfortable control, I know I'm never going to fall prey to pepperoni pizza. I have control and discipline, yeah? Even when you feel redemptiveness, just like, the, just like in the marriage, is there, is there yeah. a period in between? Say this again, when you feel? You maybe feel redeemed at one point. With oneself. Do you have the right. marriage analogy? Or no, talking about with, with oneself. Right. And then late, or, or with God, isn't it more... Uh, again... When you feel redemption with, as an Adam to personality, you feel comfortable and secure and in control with yourself. Right. Right. Does that, that redemptiveness, does that also have cycles? Of course. Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, that you will... So you can be redeemed at one point and then feel not redeemed. Absolutely. We'll see that in a minute. Hold on to that point. Let's go for it. Well, dignified existence is attained by a majestic man who courageously searches forward and confronts mute nature, low form being, in a mood of defiance, that's Adam 1, but devastated achieve when humble man makes a movement of recoil, lets himself be confronted and defeated by a higher and truer being. Sacrifice. God summoned Adam the first to advance steadily. Adam 1. Adam second to retreat. Take a step back. That's there. Adam 1 does what in the, in the marital relationship? He conquers, he takes a very strong, forward, aggressive position. All of a sudden, she says what? This is how, what was it? She says, I saw a drop of blood. I'm not available. I'm not available. And he all of a sudden takes a step back. So what is Adam 2 really doing? Adam 2 is self-defeating. 
Adam 1 all of a sudden becomes Adam 2 because it's really the same personality. And whereas in, the first, in, the, in one minute, he's ready to be involved and engaged and excited, energetically involved. All of a sudden, something happens. And what happens? He withdraws from the relationship. She says, Or I've seen a, a, a rose. The way she quotes the so not, not, not yet. Not yet. We didn't understand it's a technical yet. Let's first understand what he's talking about. Don't take the extreme if you want to extreme. So it says, and then the person says, I've seen this, and then all of a sudden you've become flipped over. Within one second, you are allowing yourself to be conquered. And you have the discipline and the control to say, I've kind of loyalty. I'm removing myself from this relationship. Because a higher being said, this is the line. So too, for example, the way we, I think we mentioned last week, Rosalechik will explain that every truly great spiritual giant has to experience defeat. Abraham experienced defeat. How? Imagine his feeling of helplessness when God says, I want your son and you cannot refuse me. I know you, Abraham. You're not going to refuse me. So he says, I know I can't refuse you, but you want my son? You must give me a son. He experiences defeat, helplessness, tells us. son, by the way, was giving up. He was giving up his whole life purpose. Everything. Correct. So then he feels helpless. You feel weakened. You feel a state of psychological disorientation. What does this mean? All of a sudden, um, God's chosen person purpose, per person with a purpose, and all of a sudden I'm told, give up my son, it's my future, it's everything. I'm nobody, I'm nothing, I'm weak, I'm empty of life's meaning. You feel defeated by God. That's Adam too. In the defeat, you achieve relationship with God, is what he wants to say in a minute. So too in Mikveh, so too Moshe Rabbeinu. Why could Moshe, or so explains, why could Moshe Rabbeinu not achieve the world, the land, to see the land, to all to be in the land? Because even Moshe Rabbeinu, more than anybody else, had to experience defeat. Because in defeat, you achieve greatness. By submitting yourself and choosing not to go forward, you have shown yourself in control. Because I'm choosing not to go forward. Who's he? The ultimate defeat is not seeing the promised land, not going into the promised land. No, in Abraham's case, the defeat was experienced. And then, and then he well, then he or, then he got his son back. Yeah, right. He got his son back. So there is a kind of um, he passed the test of stepping back I mean, and letting I, I himself. Mean, correct. He was he himself. allowed himself to be defeated. Right. Both both, 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 both those defeats were, were out of the, they, they had no control. Other than they had control, really. Abraham could have refused to give his son. There would have been no consequences. We would assume. Could I use a, a terrible analogy? Sorry? God going in that's the same shape as Dylan? What did Dylan say? Where did you get this song from? I don't know. God said no. Abe said what? God said if you want, you can do it. You can do what you want, Abe. But next time you see me come, you better run. This is what? <laughs> wow. First of all, why do you know this by heart? I was 61. Well, that's, that's the 60s period. I, I never even heard of that one. I mean, I have his regular greatest hits. That's all. That's not, man. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. Bob Dylan. No, I have his greatest hits. All his greatest I don't have that. I've never heard of that one before. What's the name of the song? Was that, what is it with Abraham? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I never heard of that one. This was before he was born again. Before he became Bob Hobbit? Is that it? A very poor analogy is, do you think, let's say in the battle, a very poor analogy, if you had seen Star Wars, at one, which my kid is very much into, so I've seen it once or twice, at one point, 
somebody they're battling I don't know who it was I guess it's uh, Obi-Wan is battling Darth Vader and then he says when well, he sees his son there I guess or somebody else there he just stops battling he could have won but now I'm submitting mm. and he's killed with the other what does he achieve in his submission his nobility because he saved what he had to save however what kind of details, whatever it was and he achieved in submission he really achieved a greater level because he was in control of his submission I could have battled you to the end I could have even won but then I would have won maybe at a, but I had to kill you to win so, but I achieve greater nobility in refusing to kill you and submitting because I achieve a greater purpose and I become one with God or whatever the analogy is so in, the point is that in submission you achieve nobility because you've shown control I'm not going to do what I want to do whether in the McVeigh situation or in the Abraham situation or push the envelope and go I'm, which is, I'm forcing my way to Israel because I want to go but you don't do that. So you submit, you accept defeat, and then sometimes God will say, now you can go forward. But you, to, to be truly human, you must accept defeat at a certain level. That's the point he's making. Okay, let's go one more step further. Adam 1, mood of defiance, as opposed to, Adam 2, redemption achieved when a humble man formed a recoil. He can step back. So himself be confronted and defeated by a higher true being named God. God said, Adam the first to advance as into a retreat. Adam the first is the same person. First he tried, he told the Exodus, mash and fill the earth and subdue it, Kipshua. As in to serve. From those four distinctions between Bereshit, Aleph, and Ben. Aleph is Kipshua. Go ahead, aggressively confront the world and master it. And to serve it. What does Olavda mean? Serve it. Olavda means to cultivate it and to keep it. This is acquired by man whenever he triumphs over nature, power. Man has redemption whenever he's overpowered by the creator of nature. So what I want you to experience, when we're saying over here, the fullness of humanity is composed of both Adam 1 and Adam 2 personalities. If a man rules his house and always is the power that be in his house, he never experience, he, he's missing something. He's missing something. What's he missing? that experience of wanting the other person and what should want the other person to win an argument. If you're the, if you're the person, I, that was of course imagine all the time, where the husband always wins the arguments. He, through logic and through power and through defiance, he always wins. But really, what has he done? He's lost. He's never, he's lost because his wife at the end just says, you're a jerk and walks away. Or doesn't walk away, just knows he's a jerk. Or more so, he's never experienced the nobility of saying, I'm sorry because I was wrong. That was the Twilight Zone where the guy was <laughs> gambling and winning every time and winning. He said, well, this is heaven. No, this is hell. Very good. Right, 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 right. Never lost. I didn't see that one. No, but anyhow, this guy answered my question. One text the other. Adam 1 text Adam 2. Adam 2 text Absolutely. Adam it's a and dialectic. You it, and you can't take it to the extreme either one. It becomes the non-extreme completely. Right. And Adam 2, Adam 1 pulls you back. And, and, and the other guy, if Adam one becomes just a conqueror, Adam two brings him back. Because when you conquer, you end up feeling what it's all about. I'm, I'm, my, I'm, I'm gaining, I'm more, I'm growing. What do I have at the end? I need an in-depth relationship with my spouse, with my community, and with God to make life meaningful and worthwhile. Interesting, again, maybe a poor analogy. A parent passes away. And now it's about to read the will. Right? all kinds of arguments between A and B and C and D. The son, the husband, the brother, they all want portions of it. One person says, before the will is read, I don't care what the will says. 
What do you mean I don't care? Don't you want to get now to divide two, ten million dollars in four ways, five ways, services? No, I don't care. I don't argue about it. If I get everything or nothing, it's irrelevant to me. My love for you all is so much so, and I want to maintain my love for you all so much so, that if I get nothing, I'm completely comfortable with it and fine with it. And I wish that you, I wish that you feel the same way about me. If Dad gives me everything or nothing, it's all the same because love is stronger than the few dollars that we're going to get. Few, but it's two and a half million we're talking about each person. That's few compared to the love that you can have with a person. What's more important? And let's not, so this person is trying to tell them, let's not fight over what's in the will. Let's, whatever's there, we don't care. It doesn't make a difference. If mom gave her diamond ring of 14 carats to this sister, or that sister, or this one's wife, or that one, what's the difference? Who cares? If you love each other, and you care about each other, the money's irrelevant. Now, is that a credible scenario? Yeah. But it is credible. You see the other side. I deal with it. But I will. I believe. I believe that. Oh, you could see that happening. That one brother tells the whole family that. Yeah. It works that What that happens, and it's a, and it's a not not an equitable. It doesn't matter what's equitable. No, we don't care. Love is more Don't make do make this make a difference at the end. I believe that I could say with you to you honestly right now that my relationship with my sisters is such that whether I'm, my mother gives or doesn't give to me anything or everything, it's irrelevant. It's true. I believe it's true. And I would want them all to feel the same way. The girls get nothing, the boys get everything, and they, and they know that's gonna happen and the guy says that it's it's meaningless. Meaningless. If you love, there are certain times that it happens that a parent passes away, sons get everything, and girls get nothing, and they know, and they know that. That's right. They know that. So before the girls read, the guy says to the sisters, "Whatever the girl says, I still love you." That's silly. That's a silly manipulative subterfuge. No, I'm in a situation where I believe I'm going to make that speech. I'm going to make that speech because to me it's really true. If you found love with your with your siblings, and you really like each other, you really care about each other, and they're not the same as you, they're different than you are, perhaps. I'm not talking about an in-depth love, but it's a good solid. You like seeing each other, you beat each other. You know, all those, these things are, are just silly. To worry about two and a half million dollars. Obviously, I'm using that as an extreme, but that really is the point. That, Who cares? I understand it happens. Both things really happen. We, well, I do deal with that. It is credible. But I think it is very credible. It's because at the end of the day, the love is so much more important. <laughs> so don't go to that. You could name I, I, 20 people that would do that. I, 20 only people? one. I want one. I don't want 20. I want one. Because who cares? Yeah, I, I, I can see that. And that's why it should be. It should be that way. Because... Because love is so much more meaningful and fulfilling. If it should be that way, it's not that way. No, no, I agree it's not that way most of the time. I'm not saying it is the majority of the time, but I can see it being incredible and all the rabbi wants is one. All I want is one. Right. But the guy that said that, if he felt that comfortable to say it, you know he got something in that will. No! Hopefully not. Right, that's what he's right. No, I'm only saying over here that I believe that to be the case because if you experience love of siblings rather than argumentation and discussions and mom likes you more and dad likes you better. Who that meant when he said the message with the phone. Right. Could you care that much? 
Now, so the only the premise over here might be is the person who's saying that is comfortable enough with his life. He's secured his life. He makes a decent living. Not a millionaire, but he's comfortable. He's happy. He has his two-car garage and he has his house. He has a chicken in every pot. That's what he wants. So, if I get two and a half million, it's okay. I don't care. If he was struggling and poverty-stricken, then I could see it being a source of bitterness. But even if he's poverty oh, and bitter... Yeah, I was... Okay. I was saying, no, he may just feel, look, okay, look, what I'm going to do, I'm going to do it. Uh, and it's fine. I'm going to do it. Whatever I do, I do, and I did it. And, and it's and fine. This was fine. Right. So that's what I'm getting to. And it's okay. So he's driving Chevrolet, he's happy, he's driving Calc, he's happy. Because love is so much more. So here is the same thing over here in that man for redemption whenever he's overpowered the creator. So he achieves, that person achieves nobility in that statement. He achieves a, a togetherness, he achieves a, a comfort feeling in that statement. Redemption is when you're overpowered by the Creator. You're the person who lays down the arms and says, whatever you do is fine. It's okay to lose. The husband says to the wife, I'm sorry because I was wrong. There's a certain nobility, there's a certain, it's almost a comfort feeling that you can, you can be wrong. You're secure enough to be wrong in the relationship and know that it's okay to be wrong. Sometimes you have adolescents who can't be wrong. They will always get the get, you don't have this one, get the last word, last word in, argue to the blue in the face, use logic while you're wrong, you're wrong, you're, the parents are wrong. <laughs> it gets worse before it gets better. <laughs> exactly, right. But then what happens at a certain point? You mature to the point where you, the child says, you know something? The child is not so invested in being right. When you mature, you say, I could be wrong and it's okay. I made a mistake. It's Lombardi. <laughs> winning is not the only no winning is not, it's the only thing right. he's great he's my idol <laughs> well, right, the, the dentist counts are such a positive word and I don't want it in a negative situation negative. Yeah, no. Think, I, negative. no I don't no, want to no, take no, negative no, no, no. then why redemption is a positive word that it's a goal oriented word but I don't want it's probably a futile existence one or the other may be impossible okay now they're just two different strands. Right, in the personality. To all to lead to Adam's to redemption. No. That seems like the goal the, 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 for the, 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 no. the No, they're intertwined. They're intertwined. Which is, which is the goal? It's a... Goal. Redemption. Goal. No. No. It's the wrong understanding of the word redemption. It's a dialectical next, tension. Next, read the next paragraph. It's a dialectical yeah. tension within the personality. But it's interesting. He said redemption well, comes when he knows that he, he, he is not all. Right. Right. He's not all. No. He's not all, and therefore he's no. not in control, and therefore it's he has to back they're, they're, they're right, That's the critical point, I think, we're going to have to... Let's look at... One second. Adam, one and two are opposites. One is aggressive, and one recoils. One pushes forward, one pushes backwards. Because he knows he, he, he knows that he, he, he's limited, and he can't... Win. That's Adam, too. Yeah, and he can't limit, and he can't... He doesn't want to win. No, and he can't... He, don't, he, know, he knows he can't, and therefore he has to back don't know what He can! Abraham could have refused. He can! But he doesn't want to. Because he knows that... No, it's not futile. It's not futile. If you, if you continue in the, in the sexual relationship and, I, 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 and you do it even though she's a nida, you've won the battle. I did what I wanted to do. I, Adam warned her. And God. You're not anybody. You're not hurting anybody. I got what I want. I did what I had to do. That's a euphemism, right? Adam That might be the first I've ever used in the history of the world. Right, that's but we're pretty good. <laughs> so wait, let's go on. I try to figure. out What is he really saying over here? Dignity is going to sum it up. Success, redemption, the depth of Christ and failure. Right, because 
I cannot go into the promised land because Abraham has to give up his only child. That's called a failure. And that's where you find redemption. The Bible says that Adam II was formed from the dust of the ground because the knowledge of the human was of our land's face. Adam II has never gotten just a handful of dust. Right? And defeated Adam too. And defeated must Adam II feel the very same cause of great success. Scripture is humanity. Now I know who I am. I'm strong. I'm powerful. But who am I? The iron witness which he attains as a result of his untimely search for the redeemed to listen brings its own antithesis. It's an ongoing, unending dialectic between thesis and antithesis, okay. which does not result in a new harmonious thesis as Hegel taught. Hegel said, of course, you have a thesis, antithesis, the opposite, and it results in a new synthesis. That's Hegelian philosophy. But he don't have a new synthesis. You come back to being the same thesis and antithesis. It goes on and on and on. That's what the synthesis is. But it's not a new one, because they go back to the same old one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to the fourth, the awareness of his exclusiveness and theological incompatibility with any other being. That's loneliness. And second, suddenly he finds out that he's alone, that he has alienated himself from the world that would insist in the kind of state of existence, where he has filled to out himself with the intelligent, personal, inward beings who inhabit the new world. Each great redemption step forward in masks of humanity, the ever-growing tragic awareness of his aloneness and onlyness, yeah. consequently of his loneliness and insecurity. So what's going to save him from all this? Only God. He struggles for the discovery of his identity because he suffers from the insecurity implied in seeing the isolation of uniformity and irresponsibility. The world does not respond or care about him whatsoever. You could live, you could die, what does the world care? He can go back to Adam 1. That's his redemption. It's not redemption though. It's a cure, but it, it only cures the symptoms, not the, cu- not the illness itself. It's, it's, it's a surface out, cure. Outside world, that's what he has to do. Okay, but he needs to be much more. Man. But he's more than that, correct? The only man is a negative word too, by the way. The only sadness. It's, it's, it's not. Fact, don't evaluate. It's what. It's, it's, the, it's the nature of life. Rab was very depressing when he, when he was giving the introduction to the book. But it wasn't depressing. It's part of life. It's, it's not depressed. A glorious existence he was talking about. Kind of like a, a very depressing existence. It and is what it is. Okay, no. What I'm trying to say is that is that the goal of life. It's not the goal. goal. I, let's, he didn't use the word goal. Okay. He's describing... Well, he doesn't seem to be a goal. No. He's describing what is, what can be done about it. What's the end, by the way? The fact that... The one that's with God? No. The, 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 the can, end the, is... The is, is, with is God. This is what is. No, the end is exercising the it's fullness the of this human personality that you relate to God in both of these. Adam 1 is what God wants of you. Was it to create, keep Shua and Master? Was it want you to take a step back, like we do on Shabbat, and let God fill the world and, and experience God out of the fullness of my right, sacrifice? Fullness of my sacrifice. But when you step back, in both cases, you want to step back forward again. That's Sunday morning. That's Adam one and Adam two. Then why did the rabbi Why do you say so lonely? Because he wants to say too much in Adam. You don't say it's what you don't stay there. It's what is is what is what defines your existence. This is what the nature of human being. You don't prefer this. You don't choose it. This is what it's about. So a regressive type of situation, like for even forty-eight times, you're stunted in some sort of. You're not stunted at all. Yeah, because let's say the rabbi, got himself stuck in Adam two so much. That he, that he didn't have a happy... I mean, I'm you would not be happy. I'm to it. I hear that, but you would not be happy to. Yeah, with it. It, it's, so it, got, it's kind of like a sign curve. Well, he got into that mode and he couldn't get out of it. No, he got out of it. Because he did achieve great fame. He did achieve... Maybe not in this stage when he wrote the book. 
I would say he did. And it's just, when he did his book, I mean, did he, did he go back to? Of course, because everybody, by very nature, it's one person. The thing is one who ends up mired in one. One who is mired in one or the other is yeah, an unhealthy personality. Sorry, stunted is unhealthy. God does not want. God wants you to fully develop the humanity. The Tzedekim and what Tzedekim mean? If you ask us, it's Adam one and Adam two. Is what Tzedekim is really all about. Absolutely, that's what you want. And it goes dynamically, interactively from Peter to Ephesus. This is very original thought, or whatever. Beautiful thought. Yeah. Have you seen it? Now? I'm no, thinking of Freud and Moses and Monotheism or something like that. This is his worst book. I mean, was just, he said it was his worst book. But yeah. No, this is a rich... Of course, this is a very profoundly living person who's analyzed his own situation vis-a-vis himself and others and he, this is what it's about. Oh, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Let me just finish the point now. Adam, the second son of the fossil, is alone wrote, we do this. Each grave is set forward in man's quest for humanity. That's his request. Same looking quest for humanity and tells the only going to your awareness. This is Adam 1. Quest for humanity he struggles for the discovery of his identity because he suffers from the irresponsiveness of the world in gazing into the senseless something without being awarded a reciprocal gaze what's the world out there it's a cold icy dark place exactly that's a very frightening thought hold on and being always aware a silent watcher without in turn being watched yeah. Say it again. In gazing into signs of the in being always, and being always a silent watcher, that's you, me. We're we're silent watch. We're looking outside. We're never being watched, so it's n- nothing reciprocated. With the redeeming daybreak of the new identity, Amsterdam is ushered to a world of diversity and change. With villain security expresses itself in the fact that that the term man clothes a wondrous, unique, and incommunicable reality, and the gazing into into somebody. Who returns one's gaze specially? Who's that? Hashem, God. Okay, I'll read it again. In watching and being watched in bewilderment, who knows what kind of loneliness is, is more agonizing? The one which befalls man when he casts his glance on the mute cosmos and its dark spaces and monotonous drama, or the one that besets man exchanging glances with his fellow man in silence? Who knows whether the first astronaut will land on the moon, confronted with a strange, weird, and grisly panorama? Will feel a greater loneliness because moving along jubilantly with the crowd and changing greens under his in public square. Apropos this next week. Who's more lonely? Anthem is still lonely. He separated himself from his environment, which became the object of intellectual gaze. The man gave name to all the beasts of the bed. He's a foul of them. He's engaged in the world. But he is citizen of the new world, the world of man, but he has no companion with whom to communicate and therefore is essentially insecure. <coughs> Neither would the availability of the female, created with Adam the first in chapter one, have changed this human situation. Now, the emergence of a new kind of companionship. This crucial point: if Adam is to bring his quest for redemption to full realization, he must in- initiate action leading to the discovery <coughs> of a companion, even though as unique and singular as he, he's different. He's separate. His core is alone. He will master of communicating and with him form a community. However, this action, since it is part of the redemptive gesture, must also be sacrificial. If you really want to be married happily, then you want to give of yourself, sacrifice yourself for the other. <coughs> the medium of attaining full redemption is again defeat. The new companionship is not attained through conquest. Look at Bereshit Perek Vav. What does Bereshit Perek Vav tell you? Men of stature, 
they're good. They went, they conquered, they grabbed, they do whatever they want. That's the bad model of marriage. Of marriage. And what does the Pesach say? Man is twitched in the pleasures of the flesh. Of the flesh. He went, he grabbed, he took the woman, dragged her to his cave, and Adam wanted her. Right? So that's the, that's, so that's the bad scenario. Here, it's not that. The meaning of attaining full redemption is getting defeat. The new commission is not taken through conquest, which Adam won with us, but through surrender and retreat. And the eternal God caused an overpowering sleep to fall upon man. When he's sleeping, you are powerless. Adam was overpowered and defeated, and in defeat he found his companion. Where Hashem says, Don't be alone. Only with evil you find that redemptive existence. I have a thing that the word defeat is too strong of a word. But he is in that context. But it, I would say when you're sleeping, you've submitted to the point of defeat. You can't. You can't act. You can't defend. You know what? You're sleeping. God made you sleep. You're powerless. You're passive. Whatever happens, happens. It's the ultimate defeat. Let's go on. Again, the contrast between the two Adams comes to focus. Adam was not called to was not called to sacrifice in order. I think so. This kind of thing works. Anna first was not called to sacrifice in order that his female companion had come to being. She was there for him. It was a pragmatic union. Read, 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 read. While it's special for Adam the second to give away part of himself, Adam the second does what? Adam the one that gives him part of himself. He gives away part of himself in order to... Adam the purpose of life is defeated to be Adam two. Absolutely correct. It was in special for Adam the two to give away part of himself, his side or his rib, in order to find a companion. He sacrifices, he gives to her. Community fashioning gesture of Adam the first is, before... Utilitarian, pragmatic, egotistic. I want my praise, my dignity. And such who's that sacrificial action? It's all me. For Adam the second, communicating and communing are redemptive sacrificial gestures. You must give up, you must be defeated. Thus in Christ and distress, he was planted the seed of a new type of community, the faith community. That's the Jewish community, which reached its full fruition to come between God and Abraham. Right? Let's do I want to finish one more page over here, okay? The covenant of faith community in contrast to the natural work community, which Adam won, interprets the divine pronouncement, not in utility, but in ontological. It's not pragmatic. Not, I need somebody to wash my dishes. But beingness, in being terms, is not good for men to be lonely. Not alone, but lonely. Emphasis placed upon to be. Being at the level of the faith community does not lend itself to any equation. To be is not to be equated with to work, or to lose goods. To be is not to go to think, philosophical rationalism. Right? Throughout the ages coming into Descartes, to be in the even suffering, as Shabbat now preached, or in enjoying the world of sense, as ethical hedonism, to be is a unique, this is the key point, in-depth experience of which only Adam second is aware as unrelated to any function or performance. To be means simply to be. means to be the only one singular and different and consequently lonely. You're aware of that you are alone and lonely in this world and different the world is not responsive to me and my friends who are only superficial acquaintances are not responsive to me. For what causes man to be lonely and feel secure if not the awareness of his uniqueness and exclusiveness? The eye is lonely, experiencing ontological incompleteness and casualness because there is no one who exists like the eye, like himself, and because the most existentiae, living life the way of the eye cannot be repeated in it or by others. So only reflects the very core of the eye experience and is not accidental most, no accidental such as belong to natural world community, as Adam one, and she requires success can reclaim Adam the second from the state. He's alone, he's one, he's aware of this. 
Therefore, I repeat, Adam's second must request for a different kind of community. Not the natural world community of Adam 1. Clash of Adam 2 is seeking not to be found in the deep personalized representation of the army, in the automatic coordination of the assembly line, or in the activity of the institutionalized soulless political community. His quest is for a new kind of fellowship, which one finds in a central com- community. There, not only hands are joined, but experiences as well. There, one hears not only the rhythmic sound of the production line, but also the rhythmic beak of hearts, starved of essential companionship, and all-embracing sympathy, expressing the grandeur of the faith commu- commitment. There, one lonely soul finds another soul, twin by lonely soul, yet unqualifiedly committed. Jim Jones. Oi. Oh, Jim Jones. Oh. Why'd you think of that? 1978. Jim Jones. Is what? Is whole everyone together at one shot. We're all going together. We're all. Adam, Adam too has to bring Eve with him and people society with him. That leads to a Jim Jones. Because Adam, by the way, Adam too cannot achieve this by himself. He's alone. He's lonely. Can she? What's this? Can achieve redemption by himself? He has to bring Eve. Yeah. That has to be. She is created from him. By the way, he extended to other people with him. Yeah. That's you're lonely. Who's his? Adam one or Rabbi Salvechik? Adam two. Adam two. Rabbi Salvechik here is presenting. He's describing psychologically, existentially, religiously. A human being. He's created in Salem Elohim. What does that mean? That means that you created as part of Adam 1 and Adam 2. That's, he's describing. It's not... Okay, it's but not you can't re- achieve it redemption by yourself, according to Absolutely you. correct. And it's only with the relationship with Eve. And right. then other people. Now, what... Okay, good, so right. But, but not other people... Not, not other people, correct. Not other people production line or assembly line. Right, right, right. But other okay. in-depth experiences. Right. Because Adam 1 only should be leading you to that you have your... Essential needs taken care of, and Pragmatic. even the ego and all that, right? Even the ego and things like that. Right. Correct. Now we have to go for a deeper. Right. That's Adam two. Which right. is Adam two, and that you can't leave alone. That's why Eve is necessary. And with Eve together, you bring society with you. To form, and it could be twisted to a Jim Jones. To for, could be, to to form a what he calls a faith community. Okay, a faith community, which is a Jewish community. Right. Correct. Down the road. Beautiful thought, but, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Judah. That Adam's sacrifice, Adam two sacrifice, is what that he that he submitted and submits to a relationship. Himself. Yeah, because because he's, he's lonely. So he more, gi- more more his free he's more sacrificed his freedom, freedom rather absolutely. Than the physical rhythm. Rhythm. Both. both. I mean, both. it's so symbolic of what he's giving right. up. Right, conquering his own. I mean, the, he's disciplined. He's defeated. He surrenders and says, what do I do now to find... And he wakes up and this is what he finds. Right. Somebody that can relate to existentially, emotionally, psychologically. We're now seeing each other. And it's not only a pragmatic union, but there's something that you share with me, because you're part of me. Isha. He calls it by his name, which results from him. Not to dominate, but to be... And Ezekinador is a bad term, perhaps. But to be somebody that you can share life's loneliness with. We can go to your wife and say something and feel secure and trusting that it's a safe haven. You feel safe in that relationship. You feel safe in that community that she has established in the home. What does the husband want? You want to be able to come home, let your hair down, and say everything bad that happened and still not be criticized because he lost a job. So if you come home, what you want to say? She says to you, oh, you sick, well, we're going to starve you. are the worst guy in the world. That's not a safe... You're afraid. You go to get a drink in the bar first before you come home. Because you want a safe 
environment. Whatever you're going to say about anybody, you could feel secure that it'll be understood and absorbed and not criticized, not condemned, not evaded, not judged. Sometimes you just need to be somebody to be there you to hear you. Never to say, you never have to say you're sorry. That's a saying, you know, communicating your loneliness to another being. Right. You're sharing but beingness but together. But then, the, then you're communicating your loneliness to a higher being. I didn't get to the higher being uh, yet. That, that's, the way, that, that, that's the part that... that we're we're going to come back to that. meaning of loneliness, It's so short, I think. We're going to come back to that point. Right now, we... We've built, we, we've built, uh, we've started with Adam 1, went to Adam 2, right. Adam 1 and Eve, pragmatic union, right. Adam 1, natural work community, pragmatic utilitarian production line, assembly line, political line. The loneliness is when you leave that Adam 1, that's the loneliness. Well, you don't leave it, well, no. you, be, you just you start asking questions. It is, it's the other half of the brain. Okay, so I'm going to look at it that way. Then we took Adam 2, then Adam 2 finds Eve, which, be, which is an in-depth relationship, and then we're going to go to Adam 2, now just, commu- just uh, creating this faith community. We have to go one step further, and that's going to be finding God, which will be the next chapter. Which after is your you don't, you don't have, have anything. I, I will give it to you this week. No, I'm not going to give it to you. The next chapter, will, I'll give it to you this week. I guess Eli will do it tomorrow, he's coming back tomorrow, and we'll get it to you. come back tomorrow, have tomorrow? No. By the way, I feel that you're going to be teaching a book tomorrow. We'll see what it means. If I hopefully I'm well enough to do that, that's like well, issue. I don't need have any treatments. It'd be my pleasure. There's a lot to be done over there. Two interesting things.